welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Old Testament book of the minor prophet Zechariah. The book of Zechariah contains more visions and prophecies regarding Christ and the end times than all the rest of the minor prophets combined. The role of the prophet was to tell God's people what God thinks about them and what they are doing or not doing. God cares about his people and he cares about everything in their lives. The book of Zechariah reminds us of God's constant thoughts and teaches us about his plans for the future so that we have hope when we need it. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the book of Zechariah as we look for Christ in the Old Testament. Turn your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 11 to continue our series through the book of Zechariah. And uh, once you get to chapter 11, put your finger there and then turn to John 10. How do you do that with a digital device? I don't know. That's not my problem. (laughs) See, last week I talked on compassion. Obviously, I didn't listen. All right. God cares about his people, right? Do we believe that? God cares. He cares. He cares about and he cares for. And and one of the ways that God cares, one of the ways that he shows that he cares, has to do with how he made us. God made humans to live in community with one another. He didn't live, he didn't create us to be isolated and separated. That's why one of the one of the worst things, one of the one of the hardest things for people to deal with is loneliness to be alone, either either emotionally alone or physically alone. Either way is a very hard thing because God made us to be in community with one another, together with one another. Also, the way he made us is that when we're in community, he also made it so that one person within that community would have authority, would have, would have, would, 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 fulfill a role of leader within that community. He made us that way. He made us to be in community, and he made us to follow a leader. Ultimately, the leader that we're called to follow is God himself and in the person of Jesus Christ. But on a human sense, he's also, he's also created us to have leaders. We're about to have an election, right? What are those people supposed to do? They're supposed to lead. That's what they're supposed to do. And so he provides leaders. In nine days, we're going to have an election. Who should we vote for? That's a big question. Who should we vote for? People need leaders. What kind of leaders? Well, good leaders would probably be a start, right? I mean, anybody, anybody want to vote on purpose for a bad leader? I mean, like, Sadly, they do it all the time, but that's another matter entirely. We need good leaders, but not just leaders. You know, we, we, don't, need, we don't need a general, right, to marshal the forces and to go out and fight the battle. We, we don't need a, a leader whose sole responsibility is to make decisions. You know, the, the decision comes up, the leader makes a decision, you know, without, you know, just, they, they're just, that's all they're there for is to make decisions. We're, we don't need a leader, you know, just to, to cast a vision. We don't need, we need a certain kind of a leader. 
So if you're in John chapter 10, which I should probably go there myself, we see the kind of leader that we should want, that we should be looking for. And if we are a leader, it's the kind of leader we should be. Jesus speaking, and you know most of that chapter is in red letters. Starting in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the leader that we want is a shepherd. A shepherd cares for the flock. The shepherd cares about every aspect of every part of every sheep or every person in the flock. He cares about their whole lives, that they would be healthy and, and productive and, you know, and would be a, you know, just be you know, a, an active productive part of the flock. That's what a shepherd does. That's what he cares about. Not only that, he protects from those outside dangers. He leads that flock toward good, toward the green pastures and the clear waters. That's what we want. We want that kind of a leader that cares for his people. Continue on in verse 11. Jesus speaking, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, again, this idea that it's not just about leading. It's not just about making decisions. It's not just about any of the, 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 the multitude of facets of what a leader is, but it's about giving up of yourself for the flock. That, that, that you're not a shepherd just so that you can be a shepherd. That we don't want leaders that are leaders just so they can be the leader, right? I mean, does that make sense? If you've got a leader out there that my sole job, my sole desire in life is to be the leader, that's, that's the wrong motivation. We want leaders that will sacrifice themselves for the flock, give of themselves for the flock. They will put the flock before themselves, Verse 12 speaks about the, what, the opposite of a good shepherd. But the hireling, and we could point to many of those in our culture, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and if you're a Gentile, meaning a non-Jew, say hallelujah, and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, have the power to take it again. This command I received from my father. Now, by now, all of you have your ballots. Maybe you've looked over them. You probably should do that. I checked mine. And, and maybe yours is not like mine, but mine doesn't have Jesus on the ballot, right? That means we're voting for someone less than Jesus. Turn back to Zechariah. 
or turn to Zechariah, whichever, you know, feels better for you. Bad leaders make life bad. Bad leaders don't care about the flock. They don't care about what their decisions or what their leading does to the flock. Usually they just care about what it means for them or their ideologies or their whatever motivates them. That's what they care about. They ultimately don't care about the whole flock. You know, I think about this nation and it really just grieves my heart. We have a situation right now where we have those in power only care about half, their, half the flock. The other half they don't care about. They care about the ones that agree with them. You know, those in authority should care about them all, even the ones that don't agree with them. Our nation is in the state that it's in because we have a serious leadership problem. That's our problem. It's not the economy. It's not the sun monster. It's not, it's not racism. It's not any of the things that people are saying is the problem. Problem is leadership. This nation has a leadership problem. In our text today, we're going to look at what happens to a nation with bad leaders. And that causes me to want to pray for our nation even more. So why don't we start with that? Why don't we start with praying? We'll pray for our nation right now. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time, Lord God, we, we live in a time where as we, as we examine the state of our nation, and we can see so clearly that, that there is in fact a leadership problem in this nation. And the problem is that the leaders have, have turned from you. They, they, have, they, they have no desire to know you. They have no desire to obey you. They have no desire to, to do what it is that you place them in those positions to do. And it is to shepherd the people. And so I pray, Lord, for our nation. I pray for a revival, God. You know, we may be praying for a red wave. We may be praying for, you know, this thing or that thing. But what we really need is a revival. We need people to come to know Jesus. And so I pray your spirit move powerfully across this nation. Sweep through like a, like a rushing wind, like a wildfire, like, like whatever image that we want to project, Lord God, that your spirit would move through the people of this nation and you would turn it back to you. I ask, Lord, for your touch upon our lives as we look at this. Lord, we want to understand not just what it means to our nation, but what does this text mean for us as individuals? And how do we, how do we relate to the, this text as we're talking about the nation of Israel? And, and sometimes we might, we might not be able to make that connection, Lord, but God, anything that's in your word applies to us at, at some level in some way. And so help us to see it clearly in your word today, and we pray all that in Jesus' name, amen. So chapters 10 and 11 of Zechariah are an examination of good versus bad leaders 
And, and Zechariah uses the illustration or the, the, um, the idea of a shepherd as, as the leader, as, as a leader. And I think it's, it's, it's the best one when we're talking about spiritual things because the spiritual life pertains to your whole life, everything. So when God is looking for what he is looking for in leaders is he's looking for shepherds. And ultimately, every leader is a shepherd. The question, is he a good shepherd or a bad shepherd? Is he a shepherd that cares for the flock or one that doesn't care for the flock? And we're gonna see both of those in our text for today. A good shepherd does care about those that have been entrusted to him, and the goal of a shepherd is that the flock, the whole flock, would flourish. That's the goal, that if the flock is flourishing, the whole flock is flourishing, then he flourishes himself, that he is tied, his flourishing is tied to the flourishing of the flock itself. Unfortunately, bad leaders, bad shepherds, what is their focus? They're focused on my flourishing, even if it comes at the expense of the flock. Chapter 10, the Lord said that the people of Israel were wandering around as if they had no shepherd. And that's natural. If, if you're in a situation, if you're in a community and you've got a bad leader, what are you gonna do? You may wander away from that community. You may wander away and try to find something else that, that helps you to flourish. And that can be any community that we talk about. Remember, community can be as small as a family, even smaller, a marriage. It can be a community, it can be a church, it can be a city. Any grouping of people, it can be your workplace, it can be a community. Where there are good leaders, the flock flourishes. If the flock is not flourishing, what's the problem? The problem is the shepherds, almost always. I can't say always, but almost always is a problem with the leaders. Chapter 10, talking about the sheep wandering, and the wandering was resulting in suffering. And that's always the truth. When the, when the shepherd is not caring for and tending to the flock and the flock is not flourishing and they wander away, it never leads to flourishing. The flock cannot wander away and flourish. It will always suffer. It will always be less than it could be. The same thing is true for all of us. God created us to be in community. He created us to be under a leader and he created us to flourish in that environment. That's what we were created for. And so if we're not in a good, God-centered community with a godly shepherd as a leader, then we're not going to flourish. As we get into chapter 11, there's a ton of symbolic language here, way more than we can take care of in this time we have today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brush on a lot of it, but there's a ton that you could take a lot more time with than this. Let's start with verse 1, which is how we always do it right? Amen. <laughs> Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. There is 
the sound of wailing shepherds, for their glory is in ruins. There is a sound of roaring lions, for the pride of the Jordan is in ruins. Now, if you read that, it's really kind of hard to connect that to what our topic so far today. But we have to understand that the symbolism there is the trees and the lions and the shepherds all point to leaders. They're all symbols that the Bible uses to describe leaders. And we see mighty trees, it's often referring to those great leaders, and they, they often also refer to nations. So what we have here is we have God proclaiming judgment upon these godless nations who are, have leaders, have shepherds who are not shepherding God's way. And so the idea here is that judgment is coming. Because there is no shepherd leading people to God, to godliness, to righteousness, judgment is inevitable. And that's almost always the case. We can look at the nation of Israel over and over and over again, and where the leader goes, the people usually follow. And if the leader is leading people away from God or, or leading them not to God, then, then ultimately that nation falls. As we look at this, these three verses, we see devastation, we see destruction, which is a pretty good description of what happened to the, the nation of Israel and its surrounding lands in 70 AD. After Christ came, died, rose again, and ascended. About 37 years later, Titus, the Roman general, besieged Jerusalem. He came in and just ravaged the land of Israel. But he laid siege to Jerusalem and eventually sacked it with great loss of life. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Now the Lord speaks directly to Zechariah, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, my God, and I love that Lord, my God. Zechariah is claiming God as his God. Feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich. And their shepherds do not pity them. The Lord says to Zechariah, and another way of saying that very first part, he says, Become a shepherd for the flock doomed for slaughter. As he says that the owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. The owners are just taking advantage of the flock. They're doing whatever they want to profit and to flourish themselves even at the expense of the flock itself. And he says, blessed be the Lord for I am rich. He's saying, hey, they're looking at themselves saying, I, you know, I, I am, you know they're, they're taking advantage of the flock. They're getting rich. And they're saying, God must love me because I'm rich. Okay, God says, okay, I got a plan for you. And you're not going to like it. God tells Zechariah, go and play the role of a good shepherd to these people. Show them what it looks like. And he will now become a picture of the good shepherd. We see here in Zechariah 11, Zechariah playing the part of the Messiah. This is what the Messiah will look like, he will say to them. Obviously, just a dim shadow of that, but also to show us what will happen when the Messiah shows up, how the people will respond to the Messiah, how they will react to them. So the leaders of Israel, they're leading Israel astray. 
Instead of leading them to God, the leaders are leading them to their own advantage. Where the leaders lead, the people often follow, even to their own harm. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. We can look at our own culture and see how true this is. There are people that are buying into these perverse ideologies and these bizarre attitudes that are being given to them by the leaders, and they're just following it like sheep. Huh, imagine that. And they're being led right straight down the path to destruction. And they're going, laughing and cheering and and celebrating their way to destruction. It should break our hearts And it should cause us to want to stand in the way and make them climb over us to get there. We've got to stop it. And the only way we do that is with the truth, with love, with grace, with mercy, with Christ-likeness. We stand in the way of those who are headed toward destruction, being led to destruction as sheep to the slaughter. And that's what, that's what the Lord tells them. These people, they're being led to the slaughter. Show them, show them another way. As these leaders of Zechariah's time were abusing their positions, they were doing it at the expense of their own people. Zechariah told to play the role of a good shepherd. It is to point to the good shepherd, the Messiah. In a couple of verses, we're going to see that they didn't want that shepherd, which obviously we know when we get up to the Gospels, that's exactly what happened. They didn't want, they didn't want a shepherd. They wanted something else. And any time, any time we turn away from what God gives us, from what God wants to give us, there's always a consequence. There's always a price. You don't like thinking about that, but it's always a consequence. Verse six. For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land. I will no longer have compassion on the people, the Lord says. Can you imagine a more terrible thing to hear from God? Sorry, I'm done having compassion on you. But indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will not deliver them from their hand. I won't won't save them again. I've tried, I've called, I've sent prophets, I've sent miracles, I've done all of these things over and over and over again for hundreds of years. I've, I've rescued them, and then, and then they wander away, and, and, and they get exiled, and I rescue them again, and it goes on and on and on. And here they are again. Verse 7, so Zechariah commenting now, so I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock, Uh, Some interpret that word, the poor, is the oppressed of the flock, those the leaders are oppressing. 
I took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty and the other I called bonds, and I fed the flock. Fed the flock here gives the sense as, as what we refer to as, as basically teach. You know, that in that context, that's what Zechariah was there to do, to point them to the truth of God, to lead them toward God through the spoken word. That's the prophet. prophet's job is to lead people to God, to warn them of danger and to draw them toward God. And so that's what Zechariah does as a good shepherd. And he has two staffs, and those are important. The first one is named beauty, though it's also interpreted as favor, as favor, and the sense is, is that he led them in a way, pointing them to the reality that God wants to show favor to the people of Israel, that he wants to, be, he wants to bless them. He wants to do good for them. And the second one is bonds, um, and has the idea of God um, uh, you know, binding them to him and to one another. That, that he mentions Judah and Israel. He's trying to bind the two of them together into a single nation, all of them connected to God. The idea of communion with God and one another comes through following the shepherd, the good shepherd. And by rejecting the Messiah, they're opening themselves up to the possibility, to the reality that God will remove his favor and communion from them. And that's always the price. People don't like to think about that. You know, I can get away with it. God will forgive me. You know, I can sin. No, you know, it's not going to hurt anybody if I do that. Okay, be careful. Be careful. You let your heart get too hard, and there may be a point where you can't come back from it. Verse 8. I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Again, shepherds speaking of leaders. Then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die, and what is perishing perish. Let those who are left eat each other's flesh. Ooh, sweet. And I took my staff beauty and cut it in two that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the people. So one of the many questions you might ask in this text is who are the three shepherds? Well, after extensive research, studying, seeking, you know, the, the information from all the different resources, I came up with the following answer. I don't know. <laughs> I came up, there's, there, there's estimated of 40 different opinions on who these three shepherds are. So guess what? I'm not going to add to that. So if you have a guess, then have a donut and tell Andy. He'll, he cares. He really cares. Probably not. In verse 9, he says, I will not feed you. Gosh, that's again another terrible judgment. Can you imagine a day when God stops talking to you? There's nothing. I can't imagine something worse. I would rather have God yelling at me than not talking to me. I would, I would rather have God telling me all the things that I've done wrong than for him to not talk to me at all. He's going to give up on them. Say, okay, that's what you want? You want a life without a shepherd? Okay. And if someone re chooses to reject 
God, chooses to reject the Messiah, chooses to reject the good shepherd, God will withdraw his favor from them. Take it away. And that's symbolized by the breaking of the staff beauty. He'll just stop. And then we'll allow them to experience the natural consequences of rebelling against God. God doesn't have to punish. You know, the Bible teaches us that your sin will punish you. You do whatever you're going to do, there's a natural consequence associated with that sin. And God's just going to let that happen. He's not going to prevent. He's not going to stop it. He's not going to save you from it. He's just going to let you experience it. God sent Jesus. God sent the Messiah, the good shepherd, to lead God's people away from evil and sin and toward God. Zechariah tells us that God already knows how the people are going to respond. Remember, remember, Zechariah is playing a role. He's playing a role of the good shepherd. He's, he's, he's modeling it. So this is what the good shepherd's going to be like. And the people don't want that. And God already knew that. The leaders abhorred Zechariah in the same way that they will abhor Jesus. The word abhor, how many of you used that in a sentence this week? None of you? Okay. It means to regard with horror or loathing to detest. And that's how the, the, the religious leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees and chief priests and all those people of Jesus' time, that's how they treated Jesus. And that's what led them to have him crucified. And so God withdrew his favor from his people. Josephus the historian, records that during the siege by the Romans that resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem, that the people resorted to cannibalism to survive. They ate each other's flesh. Can, again, it's one of those things that's just so, so hard to even imagine, getting to a point where you would do something like that. As always, there's a, a remnant who trust God and believe, verse 11. And so it was broken that day, thus the poor of the flock and the oppressed, those who were watching me, knew that it was the word of the Lord. Where, wherever God is, and God is everywhere, there's always a remnant, there's always a group that believes. And that remnant, that believing group, can look at the situation and say, yes, that is the truth, that is God, that's right even though they may live in a nation that is, that is, you know, on the verge of being destroyed. Because they know God's right in doing that. It's hard not to look at our nation and say, God, I am blown away. I'm blown away that we're still here. I'm thankful we're still here, but I'm kind of blown away that we are. These poor or the oppressed they believed, but most of the leaders did not. Next, we have this radical prediction, verse 12. Then I said to them, this is Zechariah, Zechariah said to them, the, the, the leaders, the, sh the shepherds of Israel, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. And if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 
pieces of silver. They said, hey, if you don't want me around, pay me off, and I'll leave. I'll leave you alone. I'll be gone. How much do they give him? 30 pieces of silver. Not very much. It was meant to be an insignificant amount, but it had a meaning. Back in Exodus chapter 21, Verse 32, it says, If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver. 30 pieces of silver are the value of a dead servant or slave. That's how much the servant, this this shepherd, Zechariah, was worth. Well, that number... That amount should also sound familiar to us from somewhere else. If we go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot, uh uh-oh, we know who that is, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. How much is the Messiah worth? How much is the Savior of the world worth? To the unbelieving world? Not very much. Not very much. But we need to ask ourselves something. How much is he worth to us? How much would I give to be with Jesus? How much would I give to be with the Savior of my soul? Verse 13, another prophecy, a fulfilled prophecy. Verse 13, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord of the potter. That princely price. If you ever wanted a proof text that sarcasm is okay, it's right there. Just, you know, Andy, be nice, okay? There's a limit to everything. He said, throw it to the potter. We know the story. We've read the Gospels. Once Jesus was condemned, Judas became remorseful. Not repentful, but remorseful. And he tried to give the money back. Tried to give those 30 pieces of silver back. And the chief priest Um, said, uh, no, we can't take that money. And so Judas threw it down in the temple. In the house of the Lord, he threw it down. The chief priests that looked at it said, well, we can't put it back in the treasury because it was used for murder. Hmm, interesting. And so what did they do with it? They took that money and bought the potter's field where strangers would be buried. Now, there's a fascinating connection between that and you. You know what we were before we got saved? We were strangers. We were strangers. And because of Christ and his death on the cross, we are adopted into the family of God. No longer strangers. 
the leaders, those called to lead God's people, led them to reject the Messiah. Most of the people really thought Jesus was somebody. But the leaders led them to a place of rejecting and crucifying him. They condemned him to death. Not just any death, but the death of a criminal. Terrible death on the cross. Verse 14 comes the next consequence. Then I cut into my other staff bonds that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. The staff, beautiful, was already broken, implying that God had, they had already out of favor with God, from God. Now the staff bonds is broken, which means communion is broken. Communion with God and with, us or with each other. You know, it's interesting how that just two days from now, or one day, technically, Israel is going to have an election. It's the fifth in three years? Two years? Three years? Something like that. That nation is not only at war with their enemies, they're at war with one another. They can't get along. They can't agree with one another, which sounds familiar. We don't, you know, we don't have to go outside of our nation to see that going on. We see that being fulfilled right here in front of us. But a day's coming, and that's going to be changed. Right now, and, and I don't imagine, I don't see how it's going to change in the near future, not until the Prince of Peace comes, steps down on the Mount of Olives, and then goes to present himself to his people and looks upon them, on him whom they pierced. And recognize that, that he is their Messiah. He is the good shepherd. Only then will there be peace. They'll reject the leader that God sent them. They'll reject the good shepherd, the Messiah, the Savior. They'll reject him. They did reject him. And so God's going to raise up another one, another leader who is not the good shepherd. Verse 15. And the Lord said to me, next take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd, for indeed I, God speaking, will raise up a shepherd where was I? In the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that stand still, but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm, speaking of his strength, and, and against his right eye, speaking of his intelligence. His arm shall completely wither, and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Who is this leader, this, this foolish shepherd, this, this bad shepherd? Daniel talks about him in Daniel chapter 8, starting in verse 23. And in the latter time, when is that? At the end. In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, the fullness of the Gentiles, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, 
because he's getting his power from the devil. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. This is pointing to a time yet to come in the future when another leader will rise up, and not just any leader. This guy is a leader who is going to put all other leaders to shame. The latter times, end times, we refer to it as the time of Jacob's trouble, or we refer to it as the tribulation. In this time, this leader will rise up. We know him by another title, and that title is Antichrist. He's going to rise up, and he'll come presenting himself as a savior. And the whole world will look at him. The Messiah has come. They will say, the savior of the world has come. And they will worship him. Not all, but most. But he's false. He's a schemer. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. If someone rejects the good shepherd, God will hand them over to a bad shepherd. And that'll be the consequence of their rebellion. That's kind of hard. Let's end on a little bit more positive note. Turn to Psalm 95. Psalm 95 as we prepare to close. It might be discouraging to think about our leaders because frankly, we live in a state with a bad leader. We live in a nation with a bad leader, with many bad leaders. Leaders that have no interest in God or his word, have no interest in the flourishing of, 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 of anyone except themselves. Now, I can't know the hearts of every one of those people, but I can tell you by their actions that they don't care. They don't care about us. They don't care about the flock, or at least they don't care about all of it. If you have a leader that doesn't care about God, doesn't care about God's word, he probably doesn't care about people. And they are ultimately leading toward destruction. But we need to remind ourselves, God is faithful to his people. When? Always. God is always faithful to his people. And so what does God call his, if God's always faithful to his people, what is God calling his people, his people to be to him? Faithful. He's calling them to be faithful. Full of faith. Believing. Believe that God is on your side. Believe that God's word is true. Believe that God will care for you even when those leaders that he put in place to care for you aren't doing it. Believe that he will. In Psalm 95, let these words be an encouragement to you. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Oh, let us sing to the Lord. When? Always. Always. 
Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Who is that? Say it out loud. Jesus. Shout joyfully. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. When? Always. Even when things are hard, even when things are going the way you don't really understand or like, be thankful. Why? Because Jesus loves you, saved you, has this amazing plan for you that includes eternity with him in heaven in glory, indescribable. Somebody say hallelujah to that. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms, for the Lord is the great God. Greater than whom? Everyone, everything. And the great king above all gods in his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also, meaning there's everything is in his control. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are God's sheep. He, he owns you, which means he's going to take care of you. Now, I can't tell you that it means everything's going to go easy because unfortunately we still have leaders that are going to do what these leaders do. But we're his sheep. And whenever the world does, whatever the world does, we've got to remind ourselves, this is who God is, and this is who we are in relation to him. We are his sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. This whole world is his. And the leaders are going to do what the leaders are going to do. But in the end, God wins. God will get his sheep where he wants them to be. And all he's calling us to do is be faithful. Just believe. Verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial, in the wilderness, as the world rebels against God. We have got to be so careful because we can look at what's going on around us and it could harden our hearts. It could make us angry and bitter and frustrated. We can't do that. God wants us to be tender toward him because if our hearts are hard, it'll make it harder for us to love him and to love others. And that's why we're here. We're here to keep loving God, no matter what the leaders, the shepherds that are put over us are doing. We gotta love God and then love others. Love him, worship him, obey him, serve him. And tell somebody about him, amen? Recommit every day to follow the good shepherd, your savior, Jesus, God the Son. And if you are a leader, be a good one. Be one like Jesus, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace, your love. Thank you most of all for sending the good shepherd. And well, Lord, we, we look around this world and, and we are struggling to find leaders who will be good shepherds like Jesus. But Lord, there are some out there and I pray, Lord, that you would raise them up and that we would be faithful to seek you and helping them 
to become what you would call them to be. Help us to continue to pray for those who are far from you, those leaders that are, are uh, frankly, are bad leaders. Bad leaders, not, not yeah, I, I can't know the motivation of all of those leaders that are doing the wrong things. I can't know what's going on inside of them. I can't know why they're doing it. But Lord God, I do know that what, what is missing in their lives is you, Jesus. And so I pray that you would help us to not be resentful and bitter and angry at those leaders, but Lord, that we would have compassion upon them and that we would pray for them knowing that they are lost. And that in their lostness, Lord God, they are leading others to destruction and they don't even know it. And so I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, not just in the church, not just, to, not just to stir up your people, but Lord God, to bring the lost into your kingdom, especially those who are in places of leadership. Lord, we need good shepherds to lead us, to lead us toward flourishing. And Lord, while, while we wait, Lord, for you to raise up those leaders, I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to you We'd continue to love you, to serve you, to worship you, to, to tell others about you. And while, we'll, while we wait, while we wait for the good shepherd to come and to reclaim his flock, Lord, help us to be busy about the work of being faithful to you. I thank you for your people. I pray for a, a special anointing over them, especially as they prepare for the serious work of of voting lord god that we should lord god we should take that seriously and that lord god that you would use even the human system of government that we have in this country to have your will be done lord we believe that's possible and we believe that good can come and we're going to pray for that and we're going to be continue to pray for it until it happens until then we wait faithfully loving you serving you worshiping you and obeying you. And we do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a radical week in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this exciting journey through the book of Zechariah. It is our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If there's anything that we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with us. You can do that by going to calvaryfv.com connect and you'll find all the ways that you can connect with us there. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. You can send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.